Welcome to the Security Squawk Podcast, where we discuss the business of cybersecurity. Here are your co-hosts and cybersecurity experts, Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week, another edition of the Security Squawk podcast. I am your co-host, Brian, here with Randy and Andre. Welcome, gentlemen, to another week, another uh, exciting week of hacks and breaches and data just being like machine gunned all over the place out there by cyber criminals. And we're going to get into it today. It's one of those weeks, man, where there's so much stuff. We spent more time, I think, narrowing down what we're going to talk about than trying to find stuff to talk about, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely was the case this week, which is wild, and it, and it hit to all levels. Um, and we all we also all can talk about what that means, you know, for the for the uh, smaller businesses out there who uh, don't end up on the news like some of the attacks that we're going to talk about today. Um, but before we jump into it, uh, remember that we do this show out of the goodness of our heart and uh, because we care about this stuff and we want to make sure that people understand what's going on out there and start to do things to protect themselves, uh, especially when it comes to your digital assets, uh, computers, cell phones, and then you know anything that you don't want getting out there into the general public is why you should listen to the show. And we don't charge anything and we don't bore you with ads. So the only thing that we ask is you help us grow the show by sharing the show or liking, commenting, subscribing. We take live comments on the show while we're recording. So if you have a question or you didn't really understand something that we said, drop it in the comments of wherever you're watching us and we might answer it if we have time and it's on topic. So... Without further ado, guys, let's talk about the Royal Ransomware Group. Um, actually, they're they're kind of on fire right now. The FBI um, just released a update to this group and what they've been up to, um, and you know, basically what they're seeing out there in the wild in terms of how they're being, who's who's attacking them, how they're being attacked. Um, but at the end of the day, this group is, <clears throat> you know, Royal Ransomware. Um, God, they've been around for well over a year. I think it's been since September, uh, early, uh, early September of 2022. Um, and in over a year, they've targeted successfully a hit 350 victims worldwide. So, you know, in little over a year, they've they've hit 350 victims that's that's roughly just about a victim a day which is, is pretty wild when you think about it um and this goes to kind of what randy was talking about when we were in the green room earlier in an article that we're not even going to get into today but we can kind of talk about the crux of that article and it's just the you know why don't you tell everybody what was in that article as it relates to kind of what's going on here with what I talked about with Royal, 350 victims in a year. And what was that article saying about uh, a digital bazooka that teenagers have? What was it? Yeah, basically the article was talking about 
the four big lock bit or four of the recent big lock bit victims, um, Boeing, um, there's a law firm we're going to talk about uh, today, most likely. Um, can't remember the other one, um, but there was like three or four really big ones. And basically saying that that teenagers were kind of getting getting them in the door by by using Shodan to find a software that was patched on October 10, but they haven't patched yet. And so Shodan is like a it's like a Google for nerds. Um, and, and so they use Shodan to find the software that's not patched. And then they use that to get into the network, basically gives them remote control of a PC inside the network. Um, and then turning over, um, I guess, turning over control to Lockbit. That was basically the gist of the, uh, of the article. But yeah. just saying that, you know, <laughs> using some, I mean, some obviously smart, smart kids using some, you know, kind of sophisticated tools but are getting access uh, fairly easily into some of these uh, networks. So let's talk about, you know, why the FBI and um, CISA and DHS decided to put a spotlight on this group um, because they've been tracking this group uh, since basically the beginning. They're believed to be... <clears throat> An off a spinoff of the defunct uh, Conti ransomware group, uh, and there and there's actually word, and it, I believe it was in the FBI bulletin that they are possibly going to rebrand Lockbit or uh, Royal. They're going to rebrand this group to something called Black Suit or something along those lines. But this group, um, you know, their average ransom uh, ask ranges between $1 million and $12 million. And it's been reported that this group has successfully stolen $275 million from companies that they ransomed. I, oh, I was going to say, I think you, you, kind of, you kind of alluded to, well, why would the FBI draw, FBI draw, draw a spotlight onto these guys? And I would say, one, obviously the large number, $275 million. I think right there at the beginning of the article also is a really big clue where it says they operate without affiliates. So that means one, whenever you have affiliates, there's going to be little gaps in security that would help the FBI get involved when you're talking about different groups having to talk to each other. So that's a reason why if they don't have, don't have affiliates, they could be a little more deadly. And then the other one would be if they don't have affiliates, that means they have the talent and the sophistication in-house to do all this stuff. So if they're doing all this stuff in-house, bringing in $275 million, uh, well, that would be their demands over the course of the last, over the last year. Um, to me, that makes them a pretty, uh, pretty big target for the FBI for those reasons. One thing too uh, is, you know, Randy, you mentioned sophisticated and yes, the tools are definitely sophisticated, but when we look at how they're getting in, you know, using a, a tool like Shodan that's readily available to the public that an IT company or an IT director should be checking and spot checking his own network to make sure that he has no open ports. Um, it also talks about remote desktop um, connection, which is 13% of um, that's 13% of how they normally get in. 
it's very common and easy things that I think the most important word is preventable of how they're able to um, get into these systems. So yes, it's sophisticated, but at the same time, it's things that um, just someone paying attention and doing the right uh, protocols on their network should have been able to block. So do you think uh, that they're using like bad GPT? Um, that's my, you know, my, my name for the, the, the wayward versions of chat GPT. Do you think they're using like bad GPT to come up with like these ideas? Cause you're right. It's simple, but it's also kind of re some of them are kind of rethought out ways, simple, but kind of maybe they looked at it a little different, put the pieces together a little different. You think they're using like chat GPT or something like that to come up with the, uh, with a uh, like strategies. I don't know if they're necessarily, I don't know to what extent. Um, I mean, this group still, their number one way to get into networks is through phishing and through good old phishing emails. That's their golden ticket into these uh, networks that they compromise. So are they using GTP for that? Probably, you know, to, to craft them, to make them uh different to come up with different variations very quickly you know write me 50 you know spam emails that are getting going to get somebody to click based on you know you know look like it comes from mgm or you know the hack of the day um whoever whoever that may be boeing um you know you you talk about all these different companies and all these different people mr cooper um we know a lot of people are being uh tricked uh because of that hack um, so, you know, there's a lot of different ways that these cyber criminals can be using what Randy mentioned to, you know, make their, make their phishing campaigns way more successful. Um, but this group doesn't just get in through phishing emails. You know, they also use, you know, they also exploit open remote desktop or unsecured remote desktop protocol, plus, you know, publicly facing apps that are not, you know, patched and the ones that are, that are vulnerable. Uh, they will go after those as well. So um, as as Andre said, a lot of these things that, that you can do are preventable or <clears throat> uh, just depends on, you know, what you need to do to, to prevent it. Sometimes uh, when you're talking about phishing, it could be, you know, just putting on a third party uh, filtering app that works really well above and beyond what Microsoft offers or it's making sure that you have certain rules or certain tweaks put in place in your email so certain things don't get through. Um, but you can also be a victim of, of social engineering and spear phishing as well through this group. So there's a lot of different ways that they come at you, which is why you know it, you can't just do one thing. You can't buy one product and say, "Oh, we we put this in place. Now we're we're going to be protected from from groups like like this royal group." You're not. And that's that's where we're at today. So the other thing, guys, I figure I thought was interesting with this group is um, they like to fly under the radar by doing this whole and this is unique to them. There are a few other groups that do this, but this this partial encryption technique um, that they use um, and, then, and the whole idea behind this is, and what partial encryption means if you've never heard of it or you don't understand what it is, or it, basically 
there it's the cat and mouse game that we always talk about on the show between cyber defenders and cyber criminals. And what happens is, is they'll figure out a technique that works that, that isn't picked up or isn't detected by your current antivirus products or your endpoint protection products. So an example I can give you is there's some detection products out there that will look for the behavior of encryption, which means like a bunch of files have changed in a directory in a short period of time. Um, and that usually is indicative of a program running uh, like ransomware, where it's just hitting a bunch of files and encrypting them. And then, you know, in that process, you know, you're, you're opening the file and saving it. So when, when a program sees that a bunch of files in a directory were changed, um, in a short period of time, that's usually how it triggers itself to say, oh, this could be a ransomware attack. Um, and what cyber criminals have learned with their ransomware software is to just don't do that behavior or, or do it to a certain level before it triggers the endpoint protection to fire off an alert to somebody saying like something could be going on here. Um, and they figured that out with this partial encryption technique where maybe they'll only encrypt two, three, four files in a directory, and then they'll move on to another directory. Um, and then they'll let you know through some kind of an email or some kind of communication, go try to open this file and see what happens. And then, you know, they will threaten to encrypt more. This is just a technique that they use to like get your attention and to get things encrypted without setting off any alarm bells. So I don't know if that made sense, guys, but that's kind of like what this group is is essentially known for. I don't know if you picked up on anything else about this group, but those were the things that I saw in, in the FBI article that um, stood out to me. Um, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the bad guys are always going to be ahead of the good guys. Not always. The old uh, cat and mouse game. This was uh, really interesting. Some of the signature things that they have though like um they use cobalt strike um yep. they use um derivatives of malware tools like um your sniff and gozi um i saw a couple others um specifically that they use um like they are making their own it said it said basically they're hardening um their tunneling basically to themselves yeah um, to where not only do they have a foothold, but they're also um, basically building up that that foothold to make it harder for detection. But they're using a tool called Chisel for that. Yep. Um, you know, I would hope that your top socks, if you will, um, that are, you know, ingesting all the data from all the networks, you know, hopefully they're looking for some of these signature um, basically signature uh, programs that this company uses, you know, I would hope that if Cobalt Strike shows up on someone's network, that that would just set off a, a crap ton of, uh, you know, of alarms. Same with Chisel and these other, you know, some of these other ones um, as well. But yeah, this is very, very interesting. And it, it does show some of their, their creativeness, um, if you will, you know, to live off the land. So. Yeah. And then, you know, one of the other things that this group is, has done is they've set up a network 
within the U.S. where a lot of the traffic, so when they're stealing, this group is also a double extortion group wherein they steal data off of your network. They're not moving that across the wire to a foreign country. They're keeping that within U.S. IP addresses, making it further more difficult for cyber defenders to detect suspicious activity. Um, because I think, you know, at a high level, you know, I would say a lot of people out there who are doing this kind of stuff, which we can debate whether, you know, what percentage of companies out there are actually looking at their traffic at, to the point to where they understand where it's moving in the world. Um, but I think a lot of companies that are doing that look for anomalies that send traffic yep. to yep. other countries that you normally yep. don't do business with, which is an earmarker because that's, that's something like, oh, a cyber criminals, you know, not gonna, you know, they're gonna obviously send it to wherever they are if they're in Russia or maybe, you know, somewhere else in the world. They're not gonna think it through and and send the traffic in and keep it within the United States. Yep. Well, this group is thinking it through. They are setting up servers and and infrastructure in the U.S. so they can move data to servers in the U.S. So it doesn't again, so they can fly under the radar and it doesn't trigger alarms. Um, yeah, you, you can't you can't just be checking for foreign IP addresses anymore. I believe the latest statistic I read was somewhere in the ballpark of 80 percent of all attacks in North America, um, quote unquote, originated from North America. So it's uh, you can't just say, oh, well, only raise a flag up if it comes from Russia or, you know, you know, Iran or some country like that. You have to watch American traffic as well. Something we've seen a lot over the past couple of years is using using Cloudflare's IP addresses, because for 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 like a web server cPanel, I don't want to get into the weeds too much here, but for cPanel to do what it needs to do, if you have stuff in Cloudflare, you have to whitelist those IP addresses, and then when you do that. For one, you do it for anybody that's in that's in Cloudflare. So um, that's also easily, um, you know, easily exploitable, if you will, by um, by these criminals um, using Cloudflare's IP addresses, which can be um, originating in the U.S. as well. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like. You know, I guess what I'm trying to illustrate here by talking about all this in the in the manner that I am is we're, we talk about this cat and mouse game, but we also know that businesses are not doing a lot of this stuff, right? So I, that's why I was careful to say, like, for the businesses that are doing this kind of stuff, because we know a lot of them aren't, right? So let's just, you know, take a step back and think about it. These guys are already... 10, like 10 steps ahead of most businesses. So like most businesses, by the time they wrap their head around what's going on here, the, the cyber criminals are already going to move like three or four times. Right. And that's the scary thing to me. It's like, you know, here you have cyber criminals who are successfully setting up infrastructure in the United States for the sole purpose of flying under the radar, of what they know can currently be detected. Right. And, businesses just don't even have a clue as to like what's in place right now. And that's, that's the scary part to me. I don't know if you guys see it the same way, but it's just like, wow, it's like, 
Um, most business owners would be shocked to understand the breadth and depth of what cyber criminals are willing to go through in order to stay in business. I, I was just at about a month ago, last month, I was at a conference I got invited to, but it was all law enforcement. And they were just introducing like these people, these officers that kind of do the IT or, or do the cyber, cyber criminal work, they were just now hearing about zero trust. It was like a new term to them. Oh, come on. Really? No, for real. <laughs> remember that time I was in the booth when I was yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Zero, they had a vendor out there and, and people were raising their hand, asking questions about it. Like they had never heard of it. That is that is wild. So all right, guys, moving right along. We'll see what happens with the Royal Ransomware Group um, and what they what they're up to and what they're gonna probably take advantage of here in the next couple of days because there's a couple of big vulnerabilities out there that were just announced that I would imagine are not going to be uh, taken care of anytime soon. So as we want to move along here and talk about this Michigan-based McLaren Healthcare, which we covered this um, ransomware attack um, back when it happened. I remember talking about it. Um, and they're a Michigan-based um, healthcare provider with facilities all across the country. Um, and they had a cyber attack in um, late July, uh, early August. Um, and uh, the Alpha V ransomware gang, also known as Black Cat, claimed responsibility for the breach. And in a filing with the Maine Attorney General's office, um, it revealed that hackers had access to McLaren's system for three weeks. Uh, and during that time, um, the healthcare company detected the intrusion on October, or I'm sorry, August 31st. Um, and they believed that they initially got access on July 28th, so essentially over a month. Um, the access data included patient names, dates of birth, so security numbers, and extensive medical information such as billing claims, diagnosis, prescription and medication details, as well as diagnostic results and treatment information. This breach, the breach also affected Medicare and Medicaid patient information. Uh, this McLaren operates 13 hospitals across Michigan and, and employs approximately 28,000 people uh, they have $6 billion in revenue in 2022, and the breach's severity prompted Michigan's Attorney General Dana Nessel to issue a warning about potential widespread impact on patients. Um, thoughts on this, guys? I know this fires you up, Randy, when you see this kind of information uh, floating around out there. Well, so it, it does because it's usually understated. So actually what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to find some of their uh, press releases from around September 1st. But guess what? I found an article from uh, the middle of July in 2021 um, where they had notified the Michigan or the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Um, and it looks like also maybe Michigan, but they had um, notified them of a data breach affecting 64,000 patients. So this is not the first time apparently that this has happened, but um, yeah, that stuff that you mentioned, 
um, social security numbers and all that. That's a that's a gold mine for for criminals um, because anything they can put in a phishing email, which remember, ballpark ninety five percent of all attacks start with phishing email with a phishing email. So anything they can put in there to lower your guard, like something you recognize, you know, something that just makes you think, oh, this is really McLaren or really, you know, this is really some provider of mine. Anything they can do makes it makes it more likely for you to click on it and give them information that they can use against you. So how many how, uh, look at this sentence here, the dark web leaks site showing access to the company's password manager. Oof. And how many, you know, we I think we've debated this a few times where do you put your 2FA, you know, pass um, um, rotating um, numbers in your password manager? No. So, but it's interesting that you bring that part up because I was actually going to talk about that. The, the, the ransomware group, uh, Alfie, posted um, screenshots on their dark website of the McLaren password manager, internal financial statements, employee information, and detailed patient records, including social security numbers and diagnostic information. That's what was posted on the dark uh, web leak site. So despite these claims of being in contact with McLaren, uh, there's no evidence to support this. So basically McLaren is saying that they're not that's not their stuff and they're not talking to um, any hackers. Uh, so it's interesting. And then it, the position that this company has taken is also interesting in my opinion, because they're being extremely tight lipped about this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the uh, spokesperson, David Jones declined to comment beyond the public statement uh, and didn't provide any information whether ransom demand was made or if any payment was made. And their chief information security officer, George Gobble, was not made for uh, available for an interview either. Um, so I find all that stuff interesting because I guess, you know, we've been talking a lot about what our federal government and what we're starting to see our government require businesses to do around this stuff and this is the exact opposite of of and this is why ftc and sec yep. and, and now you're going to see probably the healthcare sector in some way shape or form either hipaa or hhs or somebody come along and make these people disclose things expeditiously similarly to what we're seeing with FTC and SEC. This is the exact behavior that our government is, is sick of businesses doing, which is basically oh. like shutting up and not saying anything about anything. Um, and I don't know if this is an attempt to brush it under the rug, um, but it's definitely an attempt to not release information to people um, who's a lot of, you know, sensitive information has been stolen as a result. Do you want to hear something crazy? Oh, go ahead, Andre. No, I said they figured Thanksgiving is next week. We'll just tell them, you yeah. know, the Wednesday before. But hey, keep in mind, last week we talked on the show about Mr. Cooper. Mr. Cooper, um, they said that, not, you know, hey, nothing to see here. And then this week they released that there was something to see. So, um, so I, yeah. And I found, dude, I found this article uh, from the beginning of October. A lawsuit filed against McLaren 
where the lawyers are saying up to 2.5 million people potentially were involved. McLaren's official statement, and we're not saying anybody's guilty or not guilty, y'all. We're just doing like we do. We're reading between the lines. Here's their official statement. Invest, they, it says they're investigating reports that some of its data may be available on the dark web and will notify individuals who, whose information was impacted, if any, as soon as possible. That was a month ago that that's, that's what they were saying. And that, that's in a response to a lawsuit. The lawsuit's saying there's up to 2.5 million. And if we have time, this article, um, I want to just say a couple really quick. Um, but the way that they can use your information, a bill from your doctor, um, they can send you an ex explanation of benefits statement. They can call like they're your doctor trying to get medical debt from you. They can send you medical debt um, notices. The list just goes on and on of all the things they could possibly uh, use from this. I'm not going to keep reading it, but it's a lot of stuff there. So, yeah, but and just think about it like, who and like the, the, I don't even know what to call it, like bad energy that, that gets put in the world when like, somebody's information is stolen like this and it's used against them. And they're like, how did this happen? And, and then their head spinning and they finally figure out, Oh, this company that I do business with got hacked. And that's why I'm getting these text messages, these emails, these phone calls that's, you know, saying like the reason cyber criminals, like in, in the case of like Mr. Cooper, right. The reason cyber criminals take, do, act quickly is because now they have this information and they're hoping that people don't know that Mr. Cooper got hacked. Right. Mm -hmm. So when they see it, it's like, Oh yeah, I, you know, and they have no idea that Mr. Cooper's just had this big hack. And now all these people are responding to these emails and these text messages and these phone calls, you know, thinking, you know, there's probably people who are getting phone calls who are like, Hey, you know, we service your mortgage, we service your loan, you have to send your payment here now. And they're changing bank account numbers and they're sending payments to other places. Right. And, and that's a thing that's going on because, you know, people are still figuring out that Mr. Cooper has a problem. Right. Nobody would expect that somebody would know about my loan, what my payment is, you know, have my information, be able to send me an email or a text or some kind of an invoice or some kind of a letter saying that I got to send money here now. Um, but that's happening to people who are customers of, of Mr. Cooper. And it's going to happen to people uh, at McLaren who, who are going to get, you know, some kind of fake medical thing sent to them and they're going to think it's legit. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, basically all of Maine who <laughs> had data stolen by a ransomware gang. That's a great segue. Um, you know, it just, it goes on and on and on. I mean, this move it thing, it's like a gift that keeps on giving. Um, I mean, it's like everybody used it and nobody patched it. That's kind of the moral of the story here. Um, and, you know, we have uh, the state of Maine uh, and, their state agencies have become the latest victims of the ransomware attack, exploiting the move-up vulnerability, which we've talked about extensively on this show. 
Uh, and the incident has affected approximately 1.3 million individuals, roughly the entire population of Maine. Uh, the cyber criminals access and downloaded files from various state agencies around the end of May uh, after a vulnerability was identified on May 31st. Uh, so they're kind of saying that, hey, we were hit before this was made public. The stolen data uh, includes all the juicy stuff, social security numbers, uh, birth dates, driver's license, state ID numbers, tax ID numbers. And in some cases, there's medical and health insurance information. Over half of the stolen data originated from the Maine Department of Health and Human Services and the Maine Department of Education. Um, thoughts here, guys? Anything you want to add or you want me to keep going? Nope, I'm good on my side. Yep. So following the discovery of the breach, the state government blocked internet access to compromised MoveIt servers. However, due to the extent of the data theft, it is now offering two years of free credit monitoring and identity theft protection services to affected individuals. So Co-op was the group uh, behind this, um, and they've hit a lot of people as a result of the MoveIt vulnerability. Um, and, you know, this software creator move it is actually under investigation by the sec for their software to figure out like hey were you guys being lazy about your security when it came to this software or or what was the deal here um, i don't know how far they'll they'll get with that because there's not a lot of regulation around you know writing good secure proper code um yeah, maybe they can see if through discovery, whether or not maybe security researchers have reached out to the company to tell them that they've had a problem with their software and they've just ignored it. Yeah. And they can show a pattern of, of ignoring that. And that could be something that they could definitely, um, you know, maybe go after them on. But there's not a lot of, you know, laws or or regulation on, on this stuff. So I don't I don't think they're going to have a whole lot to stand on, um, even if they do find something. So, isn't it unless they like um, show that they didn't tell investors about a problem or? Right, right, yeah. I mean, that 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 could essentially be it, right? You know, you have this major vulnerability that you know would take a massive undertaking to get rid of. Um, you know, I don't look at it any different to like uh, Rackspace, right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, they're they're actually they had to file something the other day that says that they're losing more money than they thought from that from that ransomware attack. Um, again, it's like the third time they've had to do that. But you know, it's the same thing. You got to kind of give people a heads up that you know we, we you know the Rackspace made the decision not to upgrade their servers. Right. Right. It could be the same thing here. Like we're not going to you know, modify the code or, or make major changes or make that change because it's so deep in the code base that we would have to rewrite the whole thing. If those types of decisions are being made. Then, you know, you know, that could definitely put somebody like a CISO or, or head of development, you know, on the hot seat like we saw um, with SolarWinds. Right. So. And rack space is down seventy five percent this year. Oh, they're done. They got to be. Yeah, done. they're they're at a dollar forty six right now. Thanks. It's cheap. Not cheap. Time to buy. Buy low. <laughs> buy low. Buy a thousand shares now. Then when it goes to a thousand shares, you thousand dollars a share. You'll be a millionaire. 
So this one, guys, is a interesting one. We don't really, we don't tend to get into these conversations too much. Um, when it goes to companies outside of the U.S., because we just find that you know our audience is in the U.S. and we just find things are more relatable when we talk about U.S. companies. But this one hits a little bit different. Um, yeah, it's the China's. ICBC, which is their largest um, lender by by assets. It's the world's Mm -hmm. largest lender. Um, And they got hit with a ransomware attack, right? So holy, my my goodness, right? You know, I bet you if you, you know, talk to the executives at any bank, they would probably tell you that ICBC has the best cybersecurity, you know, that, that man can buy, right? Well, um, Lockbit was able to get around whatever it is that they have um, and hit this group with and hit this company with ransomware. Um, but the big problem is, and, and the bigger picture I want people to walk away from this conversation with, is that whole third-party risk thing, right? This could have disrupted economies around the world, treasury markets, um, you know, this could have impacted the U.S. And it did. It did impact it. It wasn't as bad as it could have been in my in my in my uh, thought process here. But it is a pretty big deal. Um, and this might not have impacted you, or maybe it did. I don't know. But at the end of the day, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about third-party risk. Like there are things in the world like ransomware attacks and other kinds of cyber events that are going to happen in the future that are going to impact your daily life. They're going to impact your ability to bank. They're going to impact your ability to buy things, pay for things. Um, When you go to the grocery store and maybe that grocer got hacked or maybe one of his suppliers got hacked and there's less food on the shelves. These are things that are going to be things that we are going to deal with on a more frequent basis and and people will begin to take notice. That is what I think we're, we're moving towards. Um, and I think we've been a slow march to that maybe over the last decade, but I think in the next five years, that's going to accelerate. And, you know, as crazy as this is going to sound, cybersecurity is going to be like a, like a dinner table conversation. Mm-hmm. Right kids are going to be telling stories to their parents and parents are going to be telling stories to their kids about how some kind of cyber attack disrupted their day. Um, And it's going to be something that happens on a very, very frequent basis, in my opinion. And that's what we're going to have to get to in order for us to start making a serious change around this stuff. Thoughts? That's like kind of talking about the car accident, you know, on the on the highway mm-hmm. coming home or something like that. I just right. think if it gets to that, it's just like, oh, okay. And then, you know, so what else happened in your day? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I don't I don't think it'll ever get to that. I think that's far off. I think I think mm-hmm. people being under like people talking about oh why why did this happen why aren't why why is the grocery store short on food right and it's because of a cyber attack right and mm-hmm. why why was the hospital shut down 
and not able to take patients because of a cyber attack, right? This is going to happen more and more. Like, I almost feel like every day, a, a family in the U.S., every family in the U.S. is going to be impacted by a cyber attack because it's increasing so much and so quickly and so fast. And I don't think people are aware of what's going on and how quickly it's accelerating. Like, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, like cyber criminals setting up infrastructure in the U S mm -hmm. like, you know, it's little things like that, that make the difference between whether they're successful or not. And mm -hmm. they're just that, that step right there, you you look and you, you, you want to compare it to like a chess match or something like that. It's kind of like watching a chess master versus a rookie. Like that's literally like if and we're we're watching it happen. And that's how I feel right now. I feel like, you know, the businesses are the rookie and the and the cyber criminals are the chess masters right now. And that's that's the name of the game. And businesses have no idea that they're even playing chess half the time. Mm-hmm. So, but the fact that they plug into the internet every day. You know, they, they're, they're playing the game. As the saying says, right? They're not even playing chess. They're playing checkers. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. They don't even know what they're playing. So so any thoughts on, on this? I don't know. I, that was just my big takeaway at a high level. Like, I don't want to go too deep into, like, what happened here because, um, like, we all kind of agreed. We don't really care for whatever reason. But um, I just think it looking at this from the perspective of, wow, like, this could have really – done some damage to the economy um, and, and really affected the people, especially in the financial industry. Um, yeah, any other thoughts on this before we move on? Would have been bigger than the Colonial and MGM, right? This would have affected everybody. Yeah, that would, it would have been, it would have been big in my opinion. So, all right, guys, let's wrap it up with one last, uh, pretty big ransomware attack here this week of the multitude of ransomware attacks that we got to choose from and not all of them made the made the, made the show um, we have this uh, law firm uh, right is it Allen and Overy mm -hmm. they were hit by a ransomware attack and uh, hot on the heels of a, the approval of its merger with Shearman and Sterling, Allen and Overy has been hit with some much less fortunate news. The top-ranked firm recently found itself the victim of a cyber attack, specifically a data incident impacting a small number of storage servers. What's happening in here, Randy? Did you uh, get the skinny on this one, or is it Andre? Well, I mean, it, first off, it's another lock bit attack that was the previous article we read uh -huh. was lockbit lockbit um once they're in is uh pretty darn sophisticated um they keep their stuff is uh very hard to detect um they use a separate password for each network that they get into um for the encryption um you know blah 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 a lot of stuff but the fact that it's a it's another lockbit um uh, takedown or pop, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then the fact that it's a, um, a law firm and I, I don't think it's on a accident that it's, um, coming right after a merger, because if you look at most cybersecurity insurance forms these days, 
Um, that's very often a question. Have you recently gone through a merger? Um, why would they care? Because if you go through a merger, it puts yourself more at risk because you're bringing two organizations together. This one might be secure. This one might be secure. They come together. There's a little bit of, of confusion, even in the most perfect of all mergers. There's a little bit of overlap and you, there's a little bit of time where they're working out the details um, and it does make your organization more likely to um, to be at risk. And so we're seeing that as a question now on um, cybersecurity uh, insurance applications. So anyway, that seems to be um, what has gone down here. This is one of the largest firms that there, there are. And it sounds like they had their their data on on servers. So on storage servers. So I don't think we're talking about that it's in 365. Um, sounds like they had, you know, I don't know if they were in a data farm somewhere, if they were on site, um, but it involves a small number of storage servers. Here we are the first week and there's this whole downplay again. Oh, just a small number of storage servers. These storage servers could have 100 terabytes on each one or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, maybe there's only three of them, but this could be this could be terabytes and terabytes of data. There's really no way to know at yeah. this point. Yeah, small number, small number, small being relative compared to what, <laughs> right? Um, and, you know, you're right there. And the other thing is, is you, you know that what you said about insurance agents and their policies with cyber insurance being accurate. And why they ask that question, because they look at the data and the data tells them that most companies, most cyber criminals or hackers are on a network for about 300 days before they strike or before they let you know they're there, deploy ransomware or before they basically get found out by, you know, somebody who's looking for them. Cyber insurers use that data to, to decide this stuff. And if they're like, well, if we assume that, you know, somebody has been in a network for 300 days and a company merges, they're going to know that they, that they're going to merge. They're going to know the dates. They're going to know everything about this transaction. So Randy's right. The risk of something happening goes up significantly after a merger, which is still to this day, it blows my mind that the M&A industry does not have a cybersecurity company go in and evaluate companies that they're purchasing before they purchase mm -hmm. them because you'd be able to find out if they've been hacked or not with some kind of decent cyber risk assessment right so um, but they're still not doing it to this day um you know i don't know i guess if they get hit it's the cost of doing business i don't know what the logic is behind that but there are better ways to go about things that's why we need laws that's why we need regulations that's why we need lawmakers smart about this kind of stuff so they understand that businesses are out there every day making decisions to not do the right thing um, you know in the name of profits in the name of growth in the name of you you name it we don't want to spend money on it um, and that's what's going on out there and that's why your data ends up in the hands of cyber criminals on a daily basis Yep. And you talked about the criminals being there for 300 days. So they definitely saw the paperwork. Um, it, it's been reported now that that merger was $3.5 billion. And now these cyber criminals are asking approximately anywhere from 50 to 75 million is their estimate of how much they want. So. 
So data was stolen. That's the interesting thing. And Lockbit, obviously, they steal data. So we'll see where it goes. Um, you know, they'll they'll pay or they won't pay based on whether or not they see the threat of that data uh, being released as something that they, and as a law firm, it, it's interesting, um, you know, to see how they play it, right? Because they know they know the rules, they know the laws, and they know what they're up against when it when it comes to this stuff. So. They're, they're going to be well informed of, hey, if we don't do this and this gets out there, we run this risk and they have to you know, weigh that risk and decide what game they want to play with these guys. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, there, there seemed to be, let's say three years ago, um, law firms kind of just kind of ignore, seemed, seemed to ignore a lot of this kind of stuff because I felt, I feel like they had this idea, well, we're lawyers. So what are they going to do? Sue us? You know, we have infinite, you know, resources to, to respond or whatever. But I've seen, especially in the last year, um, we're not really seeing that attitude anymore. Um, we're, we're seeing lawyers more take it seriously. Um, and I guess well, you, I don't know I, if that's law or I what. know around here, a lot of the state bars have basically said you're not up you know, you're, 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 if you're not protecting the data, you, then you're not being ethical. So you could potentially be disbarred. I mean, if you have a cybersecurity incident and, and, and the state bar association wants to disbar you, it, that can absolutely be a thing. Yep. So I think it's an ethics thing for them. And, and most lawyers, you know, hold a pretty high bar when it comes to ethics. So, a lot of them, you know, understand by talking to other breach attorneys that this stuff is a total shit show on the other side, you know, for, for the defendant, right. Or the victim, um, you know, however you want to look at it, but that's what you are, you know, you're going to be a victim of a crime, but you're also going to have to defend <laughs> lawsuits from people who are going to sue you for what happened. So. It's one of it's one of those crazy crimes. There's there's not a, there's not many crimes where you become a victim and also become somebody who is going to be held responsible at the same time. Mm -hmm. So heed the warning, folks. Do what you need to do. Call companies like us. Get help with this stuff. Don't fight the battle on your own. It's way too deep. Um, and if you feel like you're struggling with this stuff, that's when you need to reach out to. Guys like us, these cyber experts that can help you get through these situations. We've hoped you've learned something from what we've gone through today with these different cyber attacks that are happening right now. If you have any questions, you can always drop them in the comments. We have people that monitor those throughout the week. We'll always answer them right there, uh, or we'll try to bring them onto the show if we see them and it's worthwhile talking about. Other than that, Keep sharing our show. Keep uh, supporting us. And we will see you guys next week. We'll be on on Monday. Yep. Heads up, a schedule change. So we will see you on Monday. Take care, everybody.